Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Hulu's documentary, Crime and Punishment, which examines the United States' most powerful police department through the efforts of a group of active-duty police officers and a private investigator who risk their careers and safety to bring to light harmful policing policies, which have plagued the precincts and streets of New York City for decades. Amidst a landmark class-action lawsuit over illegal policing quotas, director Stephen Mang chronicles the real-life struggles of a group of black and Latino whistleblower cops and the young minorities they're pressured to arrest and summons. For your consideration in the Best Documentary category. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, we have independent Spirit Award nominations to talk about. They obviously provide a perfect window into the Oscar nominations right around the corner. So, you know, we're basically done with the season, right? <laughs> well, I would argue that this particular... I, I think in the last couple of years... The Indie Spirit committees, and there's like a group of people that vote on the different categories. It's like almost like a jury, really, um, from people from inside the industry and, and groups of critics and other people who, who get pulled in to participate, which means that it's idiosyncratic, which means that, that they aren't necessarily coordinating with each other either. So you see these strange things where a movie will pop up in one place, but it's totally omitted in another place, which doesn't really make makes sense. So, but these are the nominating committees. So, so this is what they are. This is what, what's going to be in there. And from my mind, they're definitely heading in the, in, in the indie direction. Wouldn't you say, Eric, they're, they're really, I mean, that's seem to exactly. be some of the, the bigger studio, uh, uh, low budget movies from the from there to you know places like Fox Searchlight didn't do as well as you would think. Right. Yeah. I mean, so the the Spirit Awards obviously have this twenty million dollar cap, which is pretty high, and that does allow some specialty distributor type of movies that might have been made for between ten and twenty million dollars to sneak in there, and then if they're Oscar favorites to kind of dominate. But because there's a real kind of a, not coordinated effort, but more of a subjective process to this nominating uh, approach you really do see a, a kind of agenda in play it's kind of similar to the gotham nominating committee that yeah, i've been I on right. the, the difference is the gotham nominating committees are very small and i'm allowed to tell you that i was on some and this is this secretive thing although it's people you and i both yeah, know totally you find out that elvis mitchell voted for such and such or whatever but you know yeah, it's i'm familiar. not saying he was on it this year i'm just saying you hear right. it Right. It's, it's, not, it's familiar suspects, and they are essentially trying to push forward certain things, irrespective of whether or not they are Oscar movies. So the other thing to keep in mind is there's a more expansive set of categories. I mean, you have John Cassavetes category, the Altman Award for an ensemble cast, and then you have all these other kinds of films 
The and then you had the idiosyncratic rules, too, where the Cassavetes is under 500000 budget. The Altman, if you get nominated for that, you can't get nominated for anything else. You're done. Yeah. So that, that's the that's the Spiria, which I, I, you know, wouldn't be an Oscar contender anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that one I, I'm less bothered by than the Cassavetes category, which is the Altman category. At least it's like acknowledging something that's very specific in terms of how to use an ensemble and you know remember that's what Altman did. Spiria for that though. I mean, honestly, is that the best acted movie of the year? Well, it's it's an, I, th- I wouldn't have put it up there, but I think it's a, a fascinating statement in a way because it. It is a movie with a lot of different things going on performance-wise, and you can't boil it down to one single aspect of that. It's not like just what Tilda's doing with the two characters. It's kind of a whole bunch of people bouncing off each other. And so badly. I mean that's break. I, I don't get that one at all. And then the well, other thing, cinematography, that I understand. Give Suspiria a cinematography nomination, totally deserved. Yeah, no, that that's not even the the biggest surprise. On honestly, I, to me, it's that there are films that have a significant number of nominations that uh, you know, people really haven't seen or don't know, or, and are, certainly aren't being considered major films at the end of the year. That what this is, is something that happened. Back? Well, Never Going Back, which is nominated for the Cassavetes Prize, is this film that was in the midnight section at Sundance, directed by this woman, Augustine Frizzell, who's David Lowry's wife, and it's kind of this wacky uh, uh, female stoner comedy of sorts. Um, I saw it after Sundance and was surprised how entertaining it was, because I think it just didn't quite play as well as it could have in the midnight section at Sundance, but what I really got out of it was, this is somebody who can really knows the beats of the kind of Cheech and Chong stoner comedy vibe and can make a really fun studio comedy. And she is, she's making a movie with Ryan Reynolds right now. So that, I could see that one go, going there. Although the, the category itself bugs me because it kind of, I don't know, kind of relegates these movies to a lesser than status by putting them in a different category. What I think is interesting about the spirits is when you see movies that can be nominated in a whole bunch of categories and really aren't major awards films or haven't even been released yet because if you play at a festival, you still qualify. So last year, the writer was nominated for Best Director and Best Film, even though it hadn't even opened. They probably, but that was a waste because this year it could have used the love. Yeah, this year actually might have been a front runner. It's about Chloe, that, which I hope people read because it's a wonderful movie and she's fascinating. She's got a Marvel movie coming up and there's all sorts of reasons. All right, so they did do they did do some strong recommendations for women. I, my favorite category, if I may, is Best Director, uh, where Paul Schrader is the only white guy in the category. He's a pretty good white guy if you can have a white I'm guy. Him. I'm delighted that he's getting the love for First Reform for him and Ethan Hawke. I mean, it totally deserves it, needs the love um, if it's going to proceed in, in the awards race. And I'm assuming the critics are going to come through for it also at the end of the year. But then no Evergranic for Leave No Trace, which is great. Tamara Jenkins for um, Private Life, which is... A movie that everybody loves and and almost felt like it was being forgotten until you realize it's on friggin' Netflix and everybody's watching it, so it is actually kind of still out there. And for this idiosyncratic group of people, they give Deborah Granick the... I'm sorry, but... Deborah Granick probably should have been in for screenplay, and she wasn't. I mean, that's the thing she might actually get nominated for at the Oscars. They gave Colette a screenplay nomination. That yeah, that's that's weird. Kind of surprising. Um, and then, and then you have um, uh, 
you have uh, Thomas and McKenzie in supporting actors, but you don't have Ben Foster in, in lead. So, so they'd give and they take away for the. But you missed that, and the best director is also Lynn Ramsey for You Were Never yes, Really no, Here. Done yet. Yes, Another yes. one that really, you know, slipped out of the conversation. Yeah. So that's so that's really neat to see a film like that. I mean, I I was somewhat mixed on the movie, but I think she's a, she's a truly visionary director, and I think Joaquin Phoenix deserves. I mean, he he had like four great performances this year, but I would say that this is the one he won the Palme d'Or for a while ago. Uh, I mean, the best actor at at Cannes, and and so uh, I'm glad he got the attention. Amazon did well; they had six nominations. Um, Annapurna had five. Uh, the one who led the field was A24 with 12. Um, and you see down below, Focus Features only had three, and Black Klansman only had Adam Driver, which is insane. That happened in the Gothams, too. I'm not quite sure what's going on here, because John David Washington gives... Fantastic. He's so good in that movie. That should be... I, Adam Driver is fine, but I don't understand what, what's going on here. That this, To see that happen more than once, it's almost like there's some sort of covert agenda going on, which, you know, it's hard to assess these things. But. Well, I feel like Klansman should have gotten more attention in general for Spike as well, for screenplay, for for director. That I, I find that odd that the indie spirits wouldn't come through. Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because you see Klansman is, is a very, Black Klansman is a very satisfying movie. But you, it also is, I think, compared to a lot of these films, perhaps a more traditional kind of crowd pleaser in the context of... Traditional you know, is not the word I would yeah, use. I mean, I, I think even, even though... bold and, and black. Sure, but, but, I, but before we go further on that front, you have to keep in mind, even though it has some, some really striking uh, means of kind of taking this narrative and putting it in a real-world context... It is essentially a. You can describe this plot, and it's it's you know it's a cop movie about race at a certain moment in American but history. There's a lot of serious stuff in there. Yeah, but I think if you look at the that other, Adam Driver is dealing with having to do but, the but, identity but and so on. But you're missing the point that I'm making here, which is that the, I think the films that really got broke through here are are doing things in in new ways with the medium or trying to. I, I mean, if you look at the first features. I mean, think about think about a movie like We the Animals, which actually got the most nominations. You Although they that? were all minor categories. But and guess you, what? I didn't see it. I mean, a lot of people didn't. I love this movie. I saw it at Sundance. Well, it's Jeremiah Zagas. Obviously, but I, I did not see it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful film. And it's also a film that is completely unexpected. I mean, in terms of what it's doing, it's kind of representing a, a young, closeted child's experience of the world from his perspective in a way I'd never really seen before. And I even, you know, the films like If Beale Street Could Talk, I think they're, they're trying things as a very unique kind of a, a storytelling style. I agree. I love that. I saw that a second time, and I have to say the, the decisions that he made structurally in the editing room and how he used music to set apart the flashbacks and a lot of the difficult... Uh, narrative weaving that he did, uh, extraordinary. I, 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 all hats off to Barry Jenkins on that one. And then you have Sorry to Bother You, which gets into the best first feature category alongside Hereditary and The Tale, and We the Animals, and Wildlife. That's a really fascinating range of debuts, all of which I think have been pretty well appreciated, aside from We the Animals being sort of like a sleeper hit of sorts. Those other, I mean, Sorry to Bother You was a huge hit. I'm sort of surprised it didn't get into the 
best film category considering what the, this year's nominations look like. Well, but... in the end, as far as Oscars are concerned, uh, screenplay is exactly where that one's going to end up and should, I think, end up. That That's a pretty scrappy, rough uh, uh, directing job, if, if I may say. But really. people love this movie. I mean, the thing is, it's like yeah, you, you can argue that. for it to be a popular hit it, it, and pop the way it did because it was so outrageous and so so crazy. But it's another to really assess: was this one of the best directed movies of the year? No, it wasn't. True, true. But the very fact of its existence, the fact that this movie got made, is sort of a miracle when you see it, and it's sort of it's just like. Well, I can't wait to see what he does next with a bigger support and all those things that happen. I mean, this is what, how it works. So um, the, the other film that I think is kind of interesting to look at here because it's a movie that I really, really like, and yet for whatever reason, maybe because of the timing that it showed up in the season or because of so many other things that are going on, uh, it just doesn't. I just keep forgetting about it, and that's Can You Ever Forgive Me, a movie that I love. I really thought it. A lot of people are forgetting about it, and, in the, and I, I made the point that women did well, but the woman who didn't do well was Mariel Heller. Um, yeah, she didn't, get, she didn't get directing, and Melissa McCarthy didn't get actress. And the actress crap category is very interesting because so many people got in who are not really going to be factors in any uh, longer term uh, SAG contention or, or Oscars or anything else. And then so many people got left out. I mean, Nicole Kidman for Destroyer, Charlize Theron for Tully, Nakira Knightley for Colette, among others. Um, of course, so you, there's only so many spots. Glenn Close is going to be the only one. Uh, I need Cole to watch that movie. Through. I know I need to watch The Wife. This continues to be a challenge for me. <laughs> it will Eric, happen. Eric, one day. I, I, I am going to make a bet that you will never see that film. <laughs> it's this mythological thing. I know it exists empirically based on the screener that's been sitting on my counter, but I just, uh, there's so many things going on in the world. Watch it. All right. Well, anyway, the, the, uh, can you ever forgive me getting screenplay and supporting actor is kind of shocking to me. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, look, the screenplay is really good and Richard E. Grant is really good in that movie, but it's Melissa McCarthy's showcase. And so to leave her out. And I'm curious to see how this best actress category shapes up. I mean, obviously it seems like there's a strong campaign going for Glenn Close and you've got this Olivia Coleman factor in the favorite. Well, so but- the favorite we have to make uh, the point is only eligible in this. It's, it's interesting because there's certain movies like um, Colette is eligible, but the favorite isn't. And it really, the way that the indie spirits work um, has to do with how many elements come from overseas and what is the the budget? Um, so, in the case of the favorite, that's considered a British movie, and it wasn't eligible uh, except for foreign film, which it got nominated for. Which is pretty interesting because there it is alongside Roma. Which, if Roma could find its way into being eligible for best film, maybe it would have been in a bunch of categories. Of course, that wasn't it's the case. Spanish, with language, Mexican. Yeah. So that's the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so this does not actually give us a window into saying there's no stars born, obviously, and there's no Roma domination, so we're not really seeing the race, but we are seeing an interesting alternative in a way that might, you know, clarify some of the films that are still in the conversation. However, Best Documentary does not have Free Solo in it. I thought that was a really major um, omission, and I don't think it has anything to do with what's going to happen. At the Oscars, it's interesting, no matter what, 
won't you be my neighborhood does get in you know that's the one that gets in minding the gap continues to do well um of fathers and sons is a documentary that i highly recommend and it's moving up as more and more people see it it's an extraordinary movie uh where a guy is embedded in a in in syria and is undercover pretending to be uh a, you know part of the the the, the group that that you know he's 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 pretending to be a religious conservative and and a part of the world that that he's embedded in and he's it's scary to watch what how they are uh really behaving um i'll leave it at that uh, well the, the, this kind of dark horse and all this that i think is notable is shirkers which you know in, in a year after netflix won best documentary for icarus doesn't uh, not a lot of people are talking about netflix having a big documentary campaign going but shirkers came out on netflix not too long ago they picked it up out of sundance sandy tan's film is this fascinating kind of personal essay slash journey where she rediscovers the student film she made in singapore that an american professor had stole from her and it seems to be on netflix generating a really fascinating global reach and there's like fan art out there and stuff there's a representation element there that's really important. And I'm sort of curious about whether or not this movie could have some continuous momentum through the season, even if we're not talking about it the way we talk about Won't You Be My Neighbor or Free yeah, Solo. Netflix has uh, reach, and exactly. and, and they, they support their, their movies, and people see their movies. So it, it's a big leg up, especially in the documentary race. Um, On Her Shoulders is continuing to get more attention. Um, I mentioned... Uh, and then there's Hale County, which which is also picking up uh, attention as we go. There's a very long list of documentaries, so every time you get uh, one of these wins, it's a very significant thing and helps uh, to push your movie and get more people to see it, which is the important thing. Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, for some of these movies, it's the most attention they're ever going to get, but for a lot of them, it might be just one more sort of you know, surge of confidence that what they're doing is worth doing because people like these movies. Something like Hale County, you know, when I saw that movie at Sundance, I think it's a very beautiful visual experience. Would not have thought of it as a traditional Oscar contender because it's just, it's a... It may not be. It may not be. But they are running a campaign for it, and I have to assume this only uh, helps validate those efforts in a way. The film, I have to say, my favorite film on this list... um, is probably in El Septimo Dia, which is a film in the Cassavetes Award category that uh, is directed by Jim McKay. And uh, I saw it at BAM Cinema Fest where it premiered last summer, but it just opened this year. And it's this just really beautiful story, really effective, almost like a neorealist story set in New York about this Mexican immigrant. He works at a, at a pizza shop, but... Uh, He's in a soccer team, and he's sort of divided between whether or not he can give up his job to play in a soccer tournament or not. It's like it's this very sweet, simple window into this guy's life. But, you know, all non-professional actors, kind of similar to the Sean Baker Florida Project approach. And I think because the movie was made for, like, no money and got a very small release, it's it, you know, it never really broke out of, uh, you know, kind of the New York, L.A. bubble for people who noticed it but Jim McKay is a really interesting filmmaker we haven't heard from in a, in a really long time you know he did our song a long time ago in Girlstown those were Sundance hits so it's kind of neat to see that film in there honestly because I know that's one that even more, less than We the Animals 
because we think everyone's had a Sundance platform, it's, it's just not going to get that kind of attention. So I do appreciate that the spirits have the possibility to, you know, that filmmaker now gets to go to a fancy awards event in LA the day before the Oscars. Aww. And there is some value in that. But there yeah. are, I was just thinking, there are, there is a list of movies that we were covering during all festivals that, that needed something like this to help push them into contention. And if they don't get it, I think it's going to, it means that they're kind of dead in the water. And I would put on, on that list, um, the old man and the gun and Robert Redford. I would put on that list, boy erased, Ben is back. None of, no mention of these, of these movies. Yeah. It's not surprising either. I mean, these were movies, it's, it's a competitive year and these yeah. were movies that were fine for some people. I would have to say it's probably not happening for Charlize. Um, Destroyer is probably not happening, but they have time to build up more enter, uh, more more of a, a groundswell. And so does that Eternity's Gate. That's one where I think actually the Academy might respond really well to to uh, Willem Dafoe as, as as Vincent Van Gogh. But the other thing we have to keep in mind is that, and this is sort of right around the corner now because they're booking screenings. We haven't seen Vice yet, and I'm curious to see how Vice impacts the state of these things if it's really good. That, that, was, that was ineligible for budget. No, it, it wouldn't have been yeah. here at all. Yeah. I mean, we're not so we're not seeing Vice. We're not seeing Black Panther, obviously, which has a very active campaign across a number of different categories as well. And then there's the Star Is Born Roma factor. So it, it really does feel like you know, as much as these movies have a chance to to rise up a bit. I mean, what are we seeing in these categories that actually you know where are the Oscar front runners in the Spirit Awards? I'm not. It's not a mu- not much in that respect. No, you're quite right. There really yeah. is. Um, in some ways, that's refreshing. It used to be that the artist or whatever would just dominate the Spirit Awards, and that would be really annoying. So that is refreshing in a way. But we're also yeah. going to see how Green Book does this weekend. That's another good open question. I mean, so uh, well, let's talk about the Green Book thing for a second because that movie's oh, it's, it's a great Thanksgiving movie, right? Very commercial, crowd pleaser, all that stuff. And then there was this this weird flap where where Vigo is it maybe it's it's flap, but Vigo Mortensen used the N word in, in a Q and A in what sounded like he felt was a fairly innocuous context, but didn't understand the sheer you know power of the word. Yeah, they, they just say a real taboo on on using that word. Most and of us feel amazing that he said it actually, but. He apologized. Um, Mahershal Ali, his co-star, went on to say that it was a hurtful, that was the word he used, uh, use of the word, and, and, and he was sorry that he did it, but he, he accepted the apology. Um, it's, it, it really highlights you know, how uh, fraught um, these conversations can be and, and, and how important it, it was to Mahershal Ali to say the right thing too, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, but the movie is beautiful. The movie is moving. Um, they both give extraordinary performances and someone like Vigo has been in the community for decades and everyone knows him and they like him and they respect him and they know that he's a liberal guy, um, who cares right. about these things. Um, and I think it's not like someone like uh, Russell Crowe dive bombing his uh, nomination for Cinderella. Right. He threw well, a Vigo Mortensen is this, you know, it's not right. like that. 
he was a bad right. boy all along and everybody knew it and they were happy to yeah to, uh, uh, rap on the knuckles for behaving badly but i don't or know that that's how people are going to feel about vigo but if the yeah. movie doesn't do well and the movie doesn't end up getting huge good reviews which and by the way the early reviews are a little mixed um, I'm, I'm, it has to play really well with audiences, which it did in Toronto, and, and I was in the house, so I know how well it plays. I'm curious to see how this ends up. Well, Green Book was seen as a surprise at uh, Toronto, and so I wonder if the, the more recent reviews are, some, are sort of a reaction to pushing back on the hype, because it's such a traditional movie that hype is just not the best thing for that movie, but it is a good Thanksgiving movie. However, so is Creed too. I will, I will tell you, even if it's not as good as Creed, it's a friggin' Rocky movie and people love that stuff. And, you know, do you want to watch a story about racism in the South, you know, with a, with a driving Miss Daisy framework, or do you want to watch Michael B. Jordan bouncing around in the ring? So that is a real threat. I think, to the Green Book. Well, the Green Threat is more that there's, now we're in the height of the uh, awards corridor where the big movies are all going for the same audience. It's the, it's the adult quality film audience and that audience is is limited and so if every i mean by the way star is born is still chugging along it's still doing really well um it's incredible how popular that movie is it was funny i was kind of being a provocateur but i moderated a panel with a bunch of film critics in key west the other day for the film festival that i'm attending and uh just to throw this out there because i want i I wanted to get away from the insular navel gazing film criticism conversations and talk about movies i said you know star is born i think it's fine but on some weird level i i like it less and less as it becomes more successful because i just think it's it's fine and man people really fought over that one because a lot of people like this movie but at the same time they're willing to acknowledge that you know, there's nothing here you haven't seen before in the big picture. I still want to give Bradley Cooper credit for how well he executed that movie. I think that it is way, I would give him a best director nomination in a heartbeat because of how well he executed that movie. It's not easy to, to make a movie like that as well as he made it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sort of seems to be his golden ticket, right? Because everybody know. keeps saying that. You never know. Ben Affleck didn't get nominated. You never know. <laughs> well, they didn't, people didn't like him, kind of, right? I mean, there's like an element of that, as you were saying before. I think Bradley better. Um, yeah. and, and by the way, Argo ended up winning Best Picture. It, it, it did, but it's it's a you never know with that director's branch. They they could they could go you know they could go Alfonso Cuarón, Pavel Pavlikovsky, you know they could go crazy and not nominate Bradley Cooper. You never know with them. So next week, we'll have a chance to uh, take a bit of a breather. And then when we get back into it after the holidays, we'll have a chance to really survey the rest of the year because it's just a couple of weeks left. But it's an interesting turning point to have. Are you seeing Vice this weekend, as I am? See him very soon, so we'll find is dropping this weekend. Um, I know that's high on your list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one by one, I'm crossing things Mary off. Mary Poppins. <laughs> I mean, I try to be a completist, so I'm not ruling it out. Let me put it that way. So, and I'm always happy to be surprised by things. So, uh-huh. so what uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving, Anne? 
we have uh, the usual suspects, uh, about a dozen people coming over for, for a groaning board. We do a kind of potluck thing. We supply the main course, my daughter and I. I'm sure you make a killer turkey. Not bad. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be up in Big Sur roaming around trying to forget about the world for a little bit, but slightly different environment, but probably we'll find our way to a turkey at some point as well. Have a good weekend and enjoy the holiday, and uh, we'll talk after. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.